Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. So I grew up um, with a pretty expansive library of, of Disney films, and they were on VHS. Y'all remember those things? You had to like be kind and rewind, and most people weren't kind, and you know how that all went. I think uh, the entire library is still in my mom's basement. I don't know if they're mildew and mold damaged by now, but they're there still. And I say that uh, because I think that the first time that I ever really experienced or encountered the reality of death was in the uh, terrible opening to the movie Bambi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You all remember that. Like, what was that even all about? Like, I don't know. It it never stops hurting. I, I won't watch it, okay? And it catches you off guard, right? Because Disney has a reputation for being like telling these heartwarming stories and making these videos that are suitable for children and families, and every now and then they throw you a real curveball like that. Or don't even get me started on old Yeller, right? But the worst of them all, and by worst I mean the best laid out, best orchestrated, and most real depiction of loss can be found in the first 10 minutes of uh, Disney's, Disney Pixar's 2009 masterpiece, Up. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, brace yourself. I'm not going to show it to you, but it, the, the scene it, it is a montage that depicts the, the life of Carl, a young man, and, and Ellie, a young woman, as they navigate their lives. They, they go through the, the young love phase, and they get married. You see them deal with the pain of infertility, progress through their careers and all the while holding on to this hope that one day they'll be able to go on their dream vacation to Paradise Falls so that Ellie can watch the clouds. As they get towards the the end of their, their lives and their retirement, Carl remembers this dream that had never come to fruition yet, and he goes to the travel agency. He buys everything required to get he and Ellie to Paradise Falls. And when he comes home to show her the gift that he has gotten to her, she collapses. In the hospital, she passes away, and the final scenes are her funeral held in the same church where they were married. And then Carl climbing the steps alone into the home that they built together, clutching a balloon, just like the one that Ellie once bought him. So if you ever need to do like a quick gut check to find out if you're still human, you 
you still have a heart or if this world has stolen everything from you. You can just go on to YouTube, Google, beginning of up, and there it'll be. And if you cry, you've passed the vibe check, you're good to go. And if you fail, like, I don't know, you probably should come talk to me or something. <laughs> but the reality is that other than uh, rudely making unsuspecting viewers uh, ugly cry in the first 10 minutes of a family movie, uh, you know, the opening scene of Up and even the opening scene of Bambi invite an audience, invite you and I to a time of empathetic reflection and solidarity as we reflect on the, the deep wound that losing someone we love leaves with us. Because the reality is that there's never a good time for loss. There's never a time when loss doesn't hurt. And there's never a time when we don't need to mourn and grieve the loss of loved ones. And so on this All Saints Sunday, we recognize that we have lost many this year and over the course of our lives who have shaped us, who have shared something very special and unique with us. Some folks who we never met face to face, but whose legacy lives on in the lives of those around us and in the life of our community. So today we, we celebrate their lives, the, the gifts that God entrusted to them, and the ways that their unique portrayal of God's image has impacted and changed their world and our world forever. But we also put words to our human loss. We recognize that lives lived well for God's glory leave gaping holes in our hearts, in our communities, and in our church when they're gone. And so while we thank God for these saints of the church and of our lives, we recognize and we hold space for the, the grief that we continue to work through. We recognize that wherever we are in this process, it's okay. And so the reality is I want you to hear this, is if you're not okay, that's okay. Nowhere ever anywhere in the Bible does it say that you have to be okay says that Jesus is okay enough for you. You can be a mess. You can be falling apart. You can be sad all of the time. You can be not okay, and that is okay. In fact, being okay with not being okay is kind of the point of this whole sermon series that we're in. Lament or lamentations are the voicing of the fact that you're not okay with whatever it is in your life that is crushing your spirit. Lament is modeled in your Bible. Lament is encouraged in the Bible. Lament is actually prescribed by God in your Bible as a means of protesting the injustice and brokenness of this world. So last week, I, I introduced a means of moving through grief that we experience as persons who live in this mess of a world. And that process, I said, was tears, talk, and time. And so today, we're going to focus on step one of this. 
tears. You might have cried already last week, and I know some of you already cried this week, and that's good. Tears are healthy. Tears are so healthy, in fact, that in the second poem of the book of Lamentations, the author says this to the exiled people of Israel who are looking back on their war-torn nation and the destruction of their home. This is Lamentations chapter 2, just verses 18 and 19. It says, Cry aloud to the Lord, O wall of daughter Zion. Let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. You know, I think that one of the most beautiful things about our Bibles is that they don't treat us like a lot of the rest of the world treats us. They don't tell us to dust ourselves off and get it together. They tell us to be a mess, to cry and to weep and to yell. They say, pour out your hearts like water before the Lord. The Bible tells us this and it tells us this because the Bible is a consistent reminder of the character of God, whose image we are all made in. We are given a consistent message that the brokenness of the world, that evil, that suffering, and that death are realities that break God's heart, and that God himself weeps over. Because things just are not supposed to be this way. In the Gospel of John, what we find is a really compelling argument for the divinity of Jesus. And what that means is that John wrote his Gospel with the express purpose of convincing you and me and everyone that's ever read it for the past 2,000 plus years that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, this carpenter, was not merely a man. John wanted to impress upon us that Jesus was the living God. And so it's interesting that right about in the middle of John's book, John's story of Jesus's life, in, in chapter 11, we find a rather curious narrative. So Jesus Jesus had some friends who lived in a town called Bethany. You may remember these two friends' names, sisters named Mary and Martha. Now, Mary and Martha had a brother, a man named Lazarus. And as it turns out, Lazarus was a friend of Jesus's. And so word came to Jesus that Lazarus was ill. And so Jesus and the disciples... They packed up their stuff, and they made the journey to Bethany so that Jesus could do what Jesus could do, heal the man. But unfortunately, they get there a little bit too late. Well, actually, like four days too late. Lazarus has already died and been buried in a tomb. 
So before Jesus even gets to the town, Martha, being who she is, comes out and she confronts Jesus. And she's like, dude, if you were here, like what took you so long? If you were here, my brother would not have died. Look what has happened. What were you doing? What took you so long? And Jesus does what Jesus often does, and he kind of talks in riddles around the problem. Talks in parables and goes on about something called the resurrection. And then, I just assume Martha just got flustered and like tired of talking to this man. And so she just stormed off back to the house and walked in, found her, her sister Mary there, grieving with a, a whole community of other people and was like, you know what, you got to go talk to this guy because he's insufferable, right? I can't understand him. So go on, go, go talk to the man. And what happens is Mary gets up and she goes out to meet with Jesus. And we find uh, this interaction in uh, John chapter 11, verses 30 through 30, 33. So it says, now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. He's probably trying to wrap his head around what just happened. And so the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. And so they followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and she said to him, Lord, if, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And so we have this depiction here of communal grief. It's not hidden. It's not confined to a house or even a room in that house. And in fact, it's so public that others come to share in Mary's grief over the loss of her brother with her. Mary doesn't try and hide her tears from Jesus, but rather she kneels down and weeps at his feet. And, and the response from Jesus is this, picking right back up at verse 34. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. So Jesus began to weep. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him? Jesus' response to Mary's grief, he shares in it himself. Jesus' response to the death of his friend, weeping. The shortest verse in your entire Bible, Jesus wept. That's it. That's all you have to remember. Jesus. Jesus wept. Jesus, the one who not only had the power but the one who would, in the very next part of this story, go to the tomb and raise Lazarus from the grave. This Jesus still wept over the loss of his friend. And in this gospel, the gospel of John, which emphasizes the fact that Jesus Christ is God, is Yahweh of Israel, the Lord of lords. In this gospel, God, is depicted as someone who is greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved at the suffering of humans. God 
is depicted as a man who cries. Proving false now and forevermore the old lie that real men don't cry. Right? Real men cry. Real women cry. Crying is a reality that is deeply ingrained in the image of God that we all bear. To cry is to be authentically human. To cry is to be like Jesus. Perhaps the greatest lesson that we learn from Jesus' time in Bethany is the importance of allowing space for this first step in the grieving process to occur. You know, Jesus did not need to cry. Jesus was about to fix the problem. But the space was left there anyway. Jesus didn't say, Mary, don't cry. Why are you crying? Don't you know I'm going to fix it? Instead, Jesus walked and wept with Mary and with her sister. Jesus wept with the Jewish community that was with Mary and Martha and that was accompanying them and weeping with them. What this tells me is that in our grief, there is strength in numbers. The community that comes together in times of great sadness to hold one another up through their tears is a gift that God has given to us. And so that's our task. Not only on this All Saints Sunday, but as a community going forward. We're called to carry our own tears and cry them. And to allow the hurt and pain that we experience as a result of our suffering and as a result of the loss of those that we love, to allow those tears to pour out like water before God, to allow tears to cleanse us, to remind us of the brokenness of our world, to allow us to be like Jesus and experience grief the way that Jesus experienced grief. I don't know if you have paid attention for like, I don't know, the past like couple hundred years, but the world is not like on a trajectory towards being less messed up or less broken. But we, as the people of God, can be people who, in the midst of the brokenness and in the midst of the mess of our world, hold space for the tears of the world. We don't have to be people who only look at the world through rose-colored glasses, hopeful all of the time. We can be people who recognize the brokenness, who, who recognize the mess, and who kneel together at the feet of Jesus and weep together. We can be people who cry together, the tears that begin the process of healing. And so this week, the, the task is simple. Allow, allow yourself to cry if you need to. Allow yourself to be around someone who needs to cry if they need to. You know, the best part about the movie Up is that Carl doesn't stay in that house alone with his balloon forever. 
the most unsuspecting of characters, a young boy comes and enters into Carl's life. And together, they go on a fantastic, magical journey to Paradise Falls. And they watch the clouds together. And together, healing comes into Carl's life. And so if you need to, allow yourself to be sad. Allow yourself to mourn your losses, but also allow yourself to be in a space that allows someone else to cry their tears, allows someone else to heal. In both of those ways, you are allowing yourself to be like Jesus.